I think failure is bad. Um, I don't think it's good. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if, if something's important enough, then you, you do it even though the risk of failure is high. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think my advice if somebody is in, wants to start a company is they should bear in mind that the most likely outcome is, is that it's not going to work. And they should reconcile themselves to that pos strong possibility. Um, and they should only do it if they feel that they, they are really compelled to do it. You know? right. um, because it's, it's, it's gonna, the, the way starting a company works is like, usually in the beginning, it's the very beginning, it's kind of fun. Um, and then it's really hellish for, for a number of years. You talked about chewing glass. Yeah, there's, there's a, fr a friend of mine who's a successful entrepreneur um, and uh, started actually his career around the same time as I did. And he, he has a good, good, good phrase, his name's Bully. Uh, um, he said, yeah, you know, starting a company is like eating glass and staring into the abyss. Um, and, and you agree with that? Generally true, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, 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 and if you don't eat the glass, you're not gonna be successful. Hey, it's Evan Carmichael, and this channel was created to help you overcome the number one challenge that is holding you back, a lack of belief in yourself. You watch these videos because you know there's something more inside you too. You've got Michael Jordan level genius at something. So today, let's live your best belief life and learn how to deal with failure to overcome your fear. Enjoy. Rule number two is embrace the fall with Simon Sinek. First of all, I don't like the term failure. I like the term falling. I think you need, like, we, we fail fast. Well, the problem with the word fail is it's like the word cancer, right? If you have stage four lung cancer or stage four liver cancer and you have a mild melanoma with a 99.999% chance of you'll be fine, both of those things are called cancer. And the problem is they're not the same thing. And failure is the same, is the same which is failure could be absolutely catastrophic or it could be a minor hiccup, but the problem is we call it failure. So I think we need to use different terms, right? Failure, I believe, is something we want to avoid. But falling is something that happens naturally. And we want to fall and get, get up more often. That's what I think is fall, fa fall fast and get yourself back up, as opposed to lying on the ground and complaining, right? So I, I want to embrace falling, because that's, that's taking risks, that's trying. You only fall when you push the boundaries, right? But the, 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 the language matters because it changes our mindset, especially because it's too broad a definition for failure. So one of the ways we embrace falling is by when somebody does fall, we don't say, what have you done? We go, okay, try again, as leaders, right? Um, or um, how can I help you fix it? And we're just a little more relaxed about it. And, and we don't swoop in and do it for them, right? Um, but rather we go, so in other words, we're encouraging risk-taking. We're encouraging people to try recognizing that they won't lose their jobs, that, that especially if you're more junior, you really couldn't do anything that brings down the firm anyway. And we have to give people the opportunity to fall and let them either learn to fix their own problems or guide them so that, so that they can, every single one of us has screwed up a bazillion times and the only reason we are where we are today is because somebody said, all right, all right, you're an idiot, but try again, you know? <laughs> like that's where, I know who did it for me, Peter Intimaggio, my old boss, years and years and years ago, the guy would never answer any of my questions. Peter, what should I do? What do you think we should do? I'm like, ugh. <laughs> if I knew, I wouldn't be asking, well, what do you think? I think we should do this, then do that. The guy never answered a question, and if I screw up, he goes, whew, whew, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know? But I never felt fear that I would get fired, ever. I never felt afraid that my job was on the line when I screwed up. We have to do that for people. Rule number three is let fear sit with you with Lisa Nichols. Over my career, and I've been in business over 20 years now, uh, people from all around the world, students at every level, whether they are newly into launching their business or they've been in business themselves for 10, 15 years, ask the question, how do I overcome fear? I'm about to disrupt you completely because I am not going to give you a strategy to overcome fear because if I, even attempt to give you a strategy. And I know we're always looking at stuff, reading things, how to overcome fears. There are probably 10 steps to overcoming fear somewhere out there. They weren't written by me. And I could never write it. Because I don't think you wait to overcome fear 
to live the life of your dreams of the one that you deserve or to blow your own mind. I personally, and I'm teaching you from my life lessons, from what I've studied, what I've applied, what I've implemented, what I've fallen from, what I've soared from, what I've gotten up from. And I don't think you focus on learning how to overcome fear, though there are things that helps to mitigate your fear. Information mitigates fear. Training and developing your skill set mitigates fear. I teach speaking. I love teaching people how to speak powerfully. Not to speak to be great, but to speak to be unforgettable. Whether you're a speaker or whether you're a manager, whether you're in retails or in network marketing, whatever it is, when you open your mouth, you wanna be unforgettable. And people always say, Lisa, how do I overcome the fear of speaking? I say, let's not focus on the fear of speaking because energy grows where energy goes. So let's not focus on overcoming fear. Let's focus on building a muscle that naturally dissolves fear. And that muscle is the muscle of information, the muscle of education, and the muscle of skill set. So if you know more and then you develop the skill set, you won't be as afraid to do that thing that you're talking about. But the other side to that, now I'm going to disrupt you a bit. So the first part, not so disruptive. That means go get it more information. Give fear what fear needs to, 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 to reduce itself, meaning information skill set. But this other part that I'm gonna tell you, this might be disruptive. How about you not try to mitigate, resolve, or get past, or overcome, whatever you wanna call it. How about you not try to do that with fear? How about you allow the fear to sit with you? You just commit to keep moving, even with the fear. So many times in my life and in my career, I was afraid. The difference between me and most is that I still move forward with the fear. Fear does not have a pass to stop you. Fear does not have a pass to stop you. First of all, let me just tell you this. Just like compassion, just like love, just like respect, just like any other feeling you feel for someone, fear is just a feeling. We just give fear more power. We say, when compassion comes, I hug, I love. When understanding comes, when joy comes, when humor comes, I laugh. But when fear comes, I get to stop. What if you change the meaning to that? Ooh, just, just stick with me right here. What if you change your dance with fear? What if you tell fear, you're welcome in my life because you're gonna come, can't keep you away. But when you come, I'm not going to stop. I might collect more information. I might get more team members. I might get a coach. I might get on my knees and pray a little harder, longer. But I will get up and I will stay moving. See, that's what I had to do. Not really had, I guess. That's what I chose to do. Well, I felt like I had to do it because I had this dream in my belly and it had to come out. I had to show the world who I really was. I had to see how big I can play. I had to see how jump, how high I could jump, how fast I can run, how many people I could serve. I had to. It was non-negotiable for me. And so when the fear rose, and it rose, I mean, it rose as a woman out of South Central LA, uh, not having a college degree, teaching these techniques. It rose when I was the only African-American inside a community wanting to transform lives and learning how to do you know, different techniques. It rose when I started my company and decided I wanna share with the world my dream. It rose when my son's father went to prison and stayed in prison over 20 years. It rose when I wanted to be on stage talking about transformation, but I was over 200 pounds. It rose, it rose, it rose, it rose when I made a lot of money. And then it rose when I lost a lot of money. And it rose when I did that again and again and again. It kept coming. At some point I said, okay, I will not wait for you to go away. I will learn how to dance with you. Can you feel the fear? Hold the fear in one hand and hold your passion in the other. And can you take them both and allow them to coexist and you still show up and play full out? Because if you can do that, if you choose, not can, if you choose to transform your relationship with fear, that fear is just an informant. It's not a hurdle, it's not a block, it's not a wall. Fear is an informant. It says, go get something. Get more rest, get more people, get more information, get more skill set. Go get something. And you can still go, and you can get that thing, and keep going. Then you won't ever wonder. 
you won't ever wonder how to overcome fear again. Also, to make sure you're actually taking action after watching this video, I've designed a special free worksheet just for this video. The worksheet will highlight all of the lessons learned in this video, as well as pull out our three favorite learnings and quotes that will inspire you to actually do something. The worksheet will also give you space to write down what your key takeaways are and your specific plan of action to make sure you're getting results. If you want the worksheet designed specifically for this video, absolutely for free, there's a link in the description below. Go click on it and start building the momentum in your life and your business. I'll see you there. Rule number four is don't give up with Guru Gopal Das. Have you ever felt like you wanted to give up because things are not going at your expected pace? Have you ever felt like leaving what you're doing because you see no growth? Have you ever felt like ending it all because of failures you have experienced on your path? Well, whenever you feel low, depressed and overwhelmed with negative emotions because of the ups and downs that inevitably come in life, whenever you feel like you want to quit, whenever you are just not able to see a reason to continue living, do remind yourself of a simple yet profound analogy. It's been one of my favorites from the very first time I heard it. A man planted fern and bamboo seeds and cared for them really well. He made sure that they both got adequate light and water. The man was delighted to see the fern quickly spring out from the earth and grow really fast covering its entire surrounding with its bright green color. But he was disappointed when he saw nothing come out from the bamboo seed. But the man did not give up on the bamboo. In the second year, he saw that the growth of the fern was luxuriant, vibrant and abundant. And the bamboo seed? Nothing came out still. But the man continued caring for the bamboo and did not quit. In the third year, there was still nothing from the bamboo seed and the man still would not give up. In the fourth year, once again, he saw nothing come from the bamboo seed. But the man persevered and still would not quit. It was in the fifth year that the man saw a tiny sprout emerge from the earth the bamboo sprout was tiny and insignificant compared to the fern. But in just six months from then, the bamboo shot up to a hundred feet tall. The man realized that the bamboo had spent those five years growing its roots. It was those roots that made it strong and gave it all what it needed to survive, thrive and grow. Isn't it true that life does not give anyone a challenge that they cannot handle. If there's a challenge that you're facing at the moment, know for sure that you have the capacity to handle it. Were you aware that all the time you've spent dealing with your challenges and struggles, you've actually been growing roots? Just as the man did not give up on the bamboo, don't give up on yourself. Never quit. Don't compare yourself to others. The bamboo and the fern are so different, yet both make the forest beautiful, each one serving a different purpose. Relax, your time will come. You will shoot up and rise high as well. Go as high as you can, as high as your potential, not someone else's potential. Be patient and keep working on yourself and one day, you will shoot up like the bamboo tree too. Remember that London is five hours ahead of New York, but that doesn't make New York slow or London fast. Everything in life happens at the right time. Be patient and the right time will come for you as well. Don't hurry and don't worry. You're neither early nor are you too late? You're just on time. 
Rule number five is move from failure to failure with Russell Brand. Did you see that tweet where someone asked me to talk about failure? Well, here I am talking about failure now. I've failed a lot in my life. Most notably, the thing that comes to mind, and by God, I wish it didn't, was um, my expectations around the success of the film Arthur that I appeared in, and then the reality of the film Arthur that I appeared in. It didn't do well. And afterwards, I felt uh, eviscerated. So that showed me it took a long time to see this, that I really wrapped up my sense of self in personal success, that I thought that if Arthur is like a number one uh, box office smash, then I will be enough, I will be validated and valuable. I was shown that by attaching my sense of self to that particular endeavor, that I was gonna suffer. Now what I've learned through continual failure, some that preceded that, and some that have come subsequent to it, is that the less external things that I rely on, the better. And that the process of failure is a process of education, of realizing that failure is a situation labeled as a negative situation only by my own desires. And it's often not the external situation that needs to change, but my attitude towards it. I've failed in relationships before. I've failed professionally before. I've failed in my expectations of myself. And where that's brought me to is a kind of willingness to acknowledge and accept that I don't know what's best for me. That's vital in recovery to arrive at the point where you realize that your own vision of reality cannot be a determiner. You become teachable when you know that. Also, it's good to know that no external thing will ever be sufficient to make me okay with the world. And also, it's difficult to uh, understand the effect of time. You know, like when that happened, when uh, like Arthur didn't go as well, and I'm imagining people in genuine crisis watching this, oh, you poor man, a film didn't do as well as you hoped it would. You know, it's like I'm aware of the uh, depth and breadth of suffering that's available. I'm aware of the pain that people go through, Some, uh, somewhat because I remember it, but mainly because I listen and am aware that some people's sense of failure is as a parent because they've lost their children. Some people's sense of failure is as a husband because they've lost their partner. But for me, the what is common to all forms of failure, wherever it lands on the scale, is the, the possibility for us to change our perspective. What's quite uh, holistic about what I've been taught is being willing to let go of the idea that I know what's best for me. And now I realize that because I've been removed from a particular career path due to circumstance, a world of possibility has opened up to me. Because I'm happy with the person that I am now, because I'm happy in my relationship, because I love my children, because I love my life, because I see the possibility for a beautiful future where I am valuable and of service, where I'm truly connected to people. Things that I regarded as a failure in the past just seem like necessary parts of a journey. So. When you feel like you are failing, if you feel like you're failing at work or you feel like you're failing in your marriage, I suppose I would invite you to consider that it's possible that you do not yet have all of the information. From moment to moment, we travel through life with our limited perspective, whether that's in the visual field or the field of consciousness. We're not capable of understanding the entire sphere of our reality, but generally more will be revealed to us and broadly what I think will be revealed to you is that what you have once regarded as failure is a necessary step on your journey to becoming the person you were intended to be. Rule number six is turn failure into positive with Jocko Willink. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and I'd like your advice. When I was younger, I joined the National Guard in an attempt to do something with my life and get out of depression. 
I lost my discipline and goals after basic training and continued in depression and disorganization. I had the opportunity to go to fight to flight school, but instead tested positive on a drug test and I was given a general discharge. I, of course, take full responsibility and feel like an idiot. How would you recommend moving past this failure? What would you have done if your SEAL career ended with a mistake? Well, if my SEAL career had ended with a mistake, I would have figured out what my next mission was going to be. That's that's what I would have done. I mean, I would have said, okay, I like that job. I failed at it. What can I learn from that? And what can I do next differently to make sure I don't make that mistake again? Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn from the past, but I'm not going to dwell on it. Mm-hmm. There's no point in dwelling on it. The only point in dwelling on it is to learn from it. So, so that's what I would do here. And then I would take what I learned from my experiences of where I failed and I would also take the positive things that I learned because you, even that, even that failure is a positive. Even that failure is a positive because you realize, you realize the value of the opportunity that you had and you blew it and you're like, okay, I'm never gonna let that happen again. Lesson learned. <laughs> I'm ha- actually stoked I get to learn that lesson because there's gonna be more opportunities that come up in life mm-hmm. and you gotta make sure that you don't disregard those opportunities when they come up. And I, so I would have taken those lessons learned, take that, take that failure and turn it into something positive and made good things happen when I figured out what my new mission and new career was going to be. Pretty straightforward. Mm. You can you can do so much good. And you know, that's going back to the story that I told about uh, Jeff in the beginning of this podcast. One of the wording, some of the wording that I struggled with in the kid's story and again, it's on it's the Warrior Kid podcast. One of the things that I struggled with in telling the story was I ended up saying Jeff had gone too far and he couldn't correct himself. Yeah. He had gone too far and he couldn't come back. Mm. And that's a real hard thing to tell a person. And it's a real hard thing to tell a kid. And the the reason why I left it that way, the reason why I kept it like, listen. You can make mistakes that you can't come back from, especially as a kid. You can make mistakes that you can't come back from. They're pretty rare, right? Mm -hmm. There's not too many mistakes that are so grievous that you can't recover from them. Mm -hmm. Like this guy. Hey, man, he made a mistake. Failed a drug test, given a general discharge. That sucks. Mm -hmm. Guess what? He can do all kinds of good in the world. He can make up for that tenfold. He can start a business, make money. He can create a family. He can raise great kids. And there's so many things that he can make sure his kids understand that and know that and learn from it. And he can make sure some other neighborhood kids and high school kids and grade school kids, he can make such an impact on the world by learning from that mistake. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's a harsh thing to say like, Hey, there's some things you can't now what this guy can't recover from and this is what the, this is the f- uh, fact that you have to face. And this is why I told it this way in the kid's story. Mm. He didn't understand. When he made that mistake, he didn't understand that there's some mistakes you cannot recover from. He can't be a pilot now. Mm. It's not going to happen. Zero chance of him being a military pilot. That's the way it works. So if I would have had the opportunity to tell him when he was 13 years old, hey, listen, bro. I get it. You're going to step outside the box sometimes, but there's some mistakes that you can make that you'll never be able to recover from. So think about what you're doing before you do them. You need to think about what you're doing before you do them. And if I would have had the opportunity to tell him that when he was 13 years old, he might have had a better decision making process when he got older. That's why I left it that way for those kids so that they recognize that there are some things that you do as as a person, as a kid that you cannot recover from. You cannot recover from them. Now, that being said, when you take this and you put it in perspective as an adult, see, and as an adult, you have a much broader world to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And just because he's not going to be a pilot, a military pilot, by the way, just because he's not going to be a military pilot, there's all kinds of other opportunities out there. And you can explain that to an adult, but it's hard to explain that to a kid. Mm -hmm. So what other opportunities? I mean, even if, especially like, oh, you want to be a pilot? Cool. You can become a civilian pilot. And you can, you know, you can fly and you can make things happen that way. But what we're not going to do and what I would not do 
is dwell on the past and dwell on what the the big missed opportunity is because guess what that's an that's a missed opportunity that there's all kinds of people in the world would love for that to be their biggest mistake that they've made that's the that's it they would love there's someone sitting in prison right now that's like man i wish all i did was get a fail a drug test and i could have learned my lesson instead i'm sitting here in prison or i got injured really bad because I did something that I shouldn't have done or I made a bad decision or I got someone that I care about hurt or injured because I took them in a, in a car when I was drunk like those are the kind of mistake this mistake sure it's a bummer guess what there are infinitely infinitely worse mistakes that he could have made infinitely worse mm. so you're all right man you're okay learn from it don't dwell on it move on and go Go do something really positive in the world. Rule number seven is fail big with Denzel Washington. I was flunking out of college. I had a 1.7 grade point average. I hope none of you can relate. <laughs> I had a 1.7 grade point average. I was sitting in my mother's beauty shop. They still call it beauty shop now? What they call it now? Yeah, I was sitting in the beauty parlor. I was sitting in my mother's beauty parlor and I'm looking in the mirror and I see behind me this woman under the dryer. And every time she looked up, she, every time I looked up, she was looking at me, just looking me in the eye. And I didn't know who she was. And I said, you know, she said, somebody give me a pen, give me a pencil. I have a prophecy. March 27, 1975. She said, boy, you are going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I flunked out of college. I'm thinking about joining the army. I didn't know what I was going to do. And she's telling me I'm going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Well, I have traveled the world. And I have spoke to millions of people. But that's not the most important thing, the success that I had. The most important thing is that what she taught me and what she told me that day has stayed with me since. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. Fail big that's right fail big you only live once so do what you feel passionate about passionate about take chances professionally don't be afraid to fail there's an old iq test was nine dots and you had to draw five lines with a pencil within these nine dots without lifting the pencil the only way to do it was to go outside the box. So don't be afraid to go outside the box. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams. And they ultimately fuel disappointment. So have dreams, but have goals. Life goals, yearly goals, monthly goals, daily goals. I try to give myself a goal every day. And understand that to achieve these goals, you must apply discipline and consistency. You have to work at it every day. You have to plan every day heard the saying we don't plan to fail we fail to plan hard work works working really hard is what successful people do and in this text tweet twerk world that you've grown up in <laughs> remember just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Remember that, just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Don't confuse movement with progress. My mother told me, she said, yeah, because you can run in place all the time and never get anywhere. So continue to strive, continue to have goals, continue to progress. And anything you want good, you can have. So claim it. Work hard to get it. When you get it, reach back. Pull someone else up. Each one, teach one. 
Don't just aspire to make a living. Aspire to make a difference. And rule number eight, the last one before some very special bonus clips, is improve yourself with Sadhguru. When we're on this journey of life, we tend to set a lot of short-term goals, and when we don't achieve them, we don't know how to deal with failure. And that is something we all deal with a lot at U of T uh, in specific, but... Uh, <laughs> But in that moment when we can look back and say, yeah, this is fine. But in that moment, how do we hold our ground and how do we learn to see the bigger picture? Should I tell you about my failures? <laughs> Hello? No, they're not interested. <laughs> I have some fans who want to know about my failure. <laughs> When I was ten, eleven, the only thing that I had in my mind is, I just want to go somewhere, I don't know where. So those days if I got five rupees, five rupees was lots of money. I bought a little bit of bread and disappeared into the jungle. Just walked around, caught a bunch of snakes, I observed everything from insects to worms to animals to everything. And I ran out of food and became difficult after three, four, five days, came back. By then there was a lot of unnecessary excitement in the town. <laughs> Police complaints, searching all over the place, looking into the morgue, <laughs> all kinds of things. And then I came back and they were all this thing, but I had left a note. They just ignore my words and do everything else. <laughs> so after a few times, they got used to that. And I also grew up. So I didn't know where, but I just wanted to go somewhere. All I knew was somehow the known situations was kind of containing me. <laughs> I just wanted to go somewhere. The moment I got a bicycle, I cycled across South India. And I got a motorcycle, I crisscrossed India many times. And I was stopped at the national borders. So I decided the only thing is I do some business, make some money and ride across the world. Where? I don't know, simply want to ride. So I thought I'll get into business. So I got in, became far more successful than most people would imagine in a short span of time. So one to another I started half a dozen businesses. Became very successful, everything. Then uh, everybody was clapping their hands except me. They were all clapping their hands because I was making more money than other people. I was getting little like that because I got into this business because I wanted to ride away. But uh, business after business, I put one finger, now both my hands were stuck in it making money and everybody clapping hands, but I was not clapping hands. <laughs> I did not think it's a great thing. I think it's those five years which people think are very successful for me, were the five years when I did not do what I really wanted to do. But everybody else thought I was doing great. That's how world is, you must understand <laughs> When you're doing great, they think you're doing no good. When you think you're doing no good, they all think you're doing great <laughs> So you must know whose interest is in their hearts <laughs> So then one afternoon it so happened, I burst into an ecstatic state for no reason, every cell in my body bursting. And then I look at myself, what is happening to me? Am I going off my rocker? Am I losing it? What's happening? But I know I don't want to lose what's happening because it's too fantastic. If I simply sit here, I'm dripping ecstasy. Then I pay attention to it, what is it that's happening to me? Then I realize, if I don't mess with my mind, 
I'm just ecstatic. Even now, just see, it's just the cerebral activity that you're not able to deal with, isn't it, which causes so much all this. If you know how to distance yourself from that, this life will burst into ecstatic state. When you are a five-year-old girl, simply jumping around, simply because there was a not much cerebral activity, simply life was a joy just to be alive, isn't it? Even now you will become like that if you know when to keep your cerebral activity on, when to keep it off. When I realized, if you don't do anything, you will become ecstatic, then I thought, what's the big deal? <laughs> I will make the whole world ecstatic. On that day, the world's population was 5.6 billion people. Then I sat down and made an elaborate plan. How I will make the world ecstatic? Because it's so simple. If they don't do anything, they will be ecstatic. I didn't think. People are so invested in misery that it'll take a lot of coaxing <laughs> Then I made a plan in two and a half years' time, I can very easily make the world ecstatic. I thought I'll execute this plan because you're a consulting business person, I'm telling you <laughs> I had everything clear-cut because this is this simple. If I talk to them, why will they deny ecstasy? They will all go for it, <laughs> thirty-eight years <laughs> Don't do this, you're clapping at my failures So people today say we have touched somewhere between eight hundred to nine hundred million people, but that's not my idea of the world. Population has grown to seven point six billion people. Now I know I will die a failure. But I'm a blissful failure, okay? <laughs> because uh, first is, I learned how to fix myself before I do anything in the world. If you fix yourself, will you fix yourself in a pleasant way or unpleasant way? Pleasant way. So if you become joyful by your own nature, then you do something in the world. Depending upon the times in which we exist, we must understand this, never under, underestimate this. Depending upon the times in which we exist, we do certain things, our world allows us to do certain things, isn't it? Today you're in your university, all of you here, because this is twenty-first century. If this was twelfth century, uh, maybe you would be fighting a war, maybe you would be plowing the land, maybe you would be doing something else. So you being a university is not your achievement, it is the times. You have some role, you have a stake in it, but it is the times which is allowing you to do this, isn't it? Historically, at what time we are born is deciding most of what we do. So do not make that a big affair. First and foremost thing is to grow this one, this piece of life to its highest possibility. If you grow this one to a certain level of capability, competence and well-being, this will do something in this world according to the times. Instead of that, what you are trying to do is, you are trying to upgrade your activity without upgrading the machine. It is like you took an old beat-up pickup truck, I won't name the brand because they're just across the Great Lakes <laughs> You <laughs> you took one old beat-up truck, pickup truck you have, but you suddenly got a desire, you want to go into the Formula One racing. You went. Now your four wheels will be going in four different directions. You want to get onto the track, at least buy a standard Ferrari. Hello? If you have an upgraded machine, is your activity naturally upgraded? I'm asking you. But without upgrading the machine, if you upgrade activity, upgraded activity is creating enormous suffering, isn't it? See, those of you who are thinking it's very hard to be in the university, I can take you back home and make you plow the land. <laughs> very easy.
you don't know what it is <laughs> So I'm not trying to make fun of things, but I want you to understand the privilege of being in the times in which you are, where our survival process is better organized than ever before in the history of humanity, yes or no? Hmm? Yes or no? Are you materially not living better than your parents and grandparents? Unless uh, your father was a Maharaja in India or something, not, you're common. So definitely you're living better than them, isn't it? Especially all of you young women who are here, I want you to acknowledge this, that this is the best time to be a woman on this planet. It never was this good. Well, still there are issues which we have to improve, no question about that. But isn't it better than ever before? If we do not acknowledge what we have, we will not create what we want, just know this. It's only a failure if you quit. It's only a failure if you stop. It's only a failure if you throw in a towel and say, I'm done. If you still love it and you give up, that's when it's a failure. Otherwise, it's a speed bump. Otherwise, it's a learning opportunity. Otherwise, it's motivation to help you keep going. As long as you love doing it, you have to keep going. The biggest potential failure that I had was when I quit on my business partner. I was in my, well, I was 19, um, 20, I, I was struggling in my company, seeing no results, pouring just so much into my company every day and not getting any anything, any traction, anything. We just, we were not winning. <laughs> and you know, you have those moments where you just feel like you're not valuable anymore. It's one thing if you're working and you're getting results, but when you're, when you're working and not getting results, you get really frustrated. If you're not working and you're not getting results, you can, you can say, okay, that's fine. You know, there's lots of things I didn't work hard at and I didn't get results, so it's fine. But when you're working hard every day and just not seeing results, I think there's only so long that you can last before you start to feel really bad about yourself. And so I, I quit on my business partner and I couldn't believe that I said those words. I couldn't believe that I was saying I quit on something that I cared so deeply about. And I cried and cried and cried and cried and barely slept that night and decided the next day I can't quit yet. I can't quit yet. There's, I just have to find another way to stand. I had the words of Oprah in my head saying, you have to find another way to stand. Don't quit. And that's what led me to modeling success. And that's what led me to building my business and, and making that first sale to then selling the whole business to then launching my website and launching my YouTube channel. The frustration and the negativity and the low of saying I quit leading to the worst moment of my life, feeling like a total piece of garbage as a human, then led to the, the greatest breakthrough of all time for me, which was to model success. It forced me to think of, well, I can't keep doing it the way I'm doing it. I can't keep going like this because this obviously is not working. I have to find another way to stand. Maybe I'm not the first guy to try to figure this out. In that moment of desperation, I asked that question. Maybe I'm not the first guy to figure this out. Who has done this? And in modeling Bill Gates that saved my company, and I've been doing it for the last 20 years now, modeling success. Finding the people who have done the thing that I want to do done the things that you want to do and sharing their lessons. So it's not only a speed bump, that, that failure, that setback of me saying I quit actually led to the greatest breakthrough of all time for Evan Carmichael the human. The lowest moment in my life led to the greatest moment of all time, the greatest insight, the greatest unlock of all time. Failure is only real failure if you quit, if you give up and you throw in the towel on the thing that you care about. So how do we start to move through it? How do you start to see those rejections and those failures as just road bumps or potential catapults forward? Well, a couple things, three ideas. Number one, start small. Where so many entrepreneurs get it wrong is you try to go big out of the gate. I love dreaming big. Dream big is great. That's, that's gonna keep you motivated, inspired, energetic, willing to chase down your goals. Dream big, yes, forever. And act small. 
Start small. Find a small way to start right now today. That huge idea that you've got. What's the fastest path that's inside of your big vision that can get you to some revenue, that can get you to some cash flow? What's the fastest path to do that? That's in alignment still with your big mission. So often entrepreneurs just try to go big too soon. And you take out the mortgage on the house, or you spend your entire life savings on this new idea. And if it doesn't work, then you're a failure. Then you have no other options. You have no plan B. You have no shot to actually go and turn another company around. Where what you want to do is find the smallest possible way to get started and just start. Just start because your perfect plan isn't going to be perfect. If you mortgage your home and take out a giant loan to launch your first business and you've never done it before, you're probably going to make tons of mistakes. And any of those mistakes might sink the company because they're big mistakes. But if you're starting small, any one little mistake is just a little mistake. It doesn't sink the company, it doesn't sink your idea, and you're still able to show up for another day. So whatever your big idea is, start small. Dream big, act small. The smallest possible way from your idea to just take one little step forward today and another the next day and another the next day. You flip that thinking, you'll start to see a lot more momentum in your business. Number two, expect to fail at the beginning. Expect to fail. This is another big reason why entrepreneurs don't win and don't stay on it because they expect it to be great out of the gate. I've got a great idea. I want to serve. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Boom, this is a winning idea. And then when it doesn't work right away, you get frustrated because the expectations that you had for how well it would do, do not actually line up to the results. At the beginning, expect to fail. Expect everything to go wrong. <laughs> When I make a video, expect to suck. I tell people this inside my Movement Makers program where I'm training people to be thought leaders. We have a 100 video challenge where I want you to make a 100 videos before you tell yourself that you suck. Because what ends up happening is you may not think you're gonna be great. You know, you're not gonna be some amazing superstar in front of the camera the first time out, but you expect to be decent. And then you film yourself and you watch it back and you realize, wow. I'm way worse than I ever thought I was going to be. Have, have you had that experience? You thought you were going to be maybe not world class, but you thought you were going to be pretty good. And then you do the thing and you're just way, way, way worse. You go ice skating or riding the bike or snowboarding or something. You think, okay, it doesn't look that hard. And you get on and, and you're falling all over the place. Have you had that experience? The problem is then people quit too soon. So why we have a hundred video challenges before you quit, and say that you suck at video and it's just not meant for you and it's not the thing that you should be doing, do 100 videos and see yourself get better. And people are already commenting after the fifth video, the 10th video, the, the 20th video, the 30th video, how much they've already grown and learned and improved and gotten better and look back on their first video and say, wow, that was so bad, but look how much I've already grown. When you expect to be great out of the gate and you're not, then people never want to show up again. You never want to do it again. But when you expect to suck and then, and then you do suck and you're a little bit better every day, it gives you the permission to fail. And it gives you the permission to show up again and fail a little bit less because all you're really missing is momentum. And then tip number three is find another way to stand. The classic advice from Oprah Winfrey that saved my business and might save yours as well is if you really, really love doing it and it's just not working out, Find another way to stand. Find another way to keep going. Find another way to do something. Model the success of somebody who's come before you. Ask for help. Share your story. Find another way to stand. Because if you quit now, if you quit and you don't love it, that's fine. You should quit. If you don't love something, I think a lot of entrepreneurs stay in a business, stay in a relationship, stay in something for too long, just out of expectations, and they actually stopped loving it Two years ago, you should have quit a long time ago. If you don't love it, quit right now, immediately. That's not a failure. The failure is staying in this thing that you don't love because you'll never do great work inside of something that you don't love. But if you still love it, if you still get excited by it, if you still enjoy the process, if you still want to do this thing and see it through and serve people and make the impact that you know you're capable of having, if that's, if that's still inside you and you quit today, you're gonna regret that decision for the rest of your life. You're gonna look back on your life at this moment and say, I wish I gave it one more day. 
I wish I gave it one more week. I wish I gave it one more month. I wish I just gave it a little bit more. I had it in me. I could have done it. And I didn't because I was afraid, because I was tired, because I was fed up. And now I regret not taking my shot. I had a chance. I had my shot back then and I didn't do it. Don't be that person. If you still love it, if you still are addicted to it, you still want to have that impact that you know you're capable of having inside this business, don't quit. Just find a different way to say it. People are just afraid, man. So many people are afraid of rejection of failure, but without failure, you have no success. What was the one that stung the most as far as failures? What stung the most, biggest failure, I had a TV show called The Big House, got picked up by ABC. They told me that we were going to do 12 episodes, flew me down to New York. Um, this is the biggest news ever. I'm about to be rich. Holy sh! I'm 22. Yeah. I got a TV show. I'm writing, executive producing, starring in the show. You know what? No, I'm not just going to go down there by myself. We got to bring the cast. They said, nope, Kevin, we only flying you. I said, well, I'm going to pay for the cast to come. I took my own money, flew them all down to New York. Get to New York. Put on my suit. People taking pictures of me walking out. This is the best thing ever. Holy sh! I'm famous. This is what it is. I get to the upfronts. Upfronts are where they announce your TV show. It's a slew of shows. They're announcing their time slots. I'm next. They're about to announce the big house. Somebody puts their hand on my chest and says, Kevin, wait. They talk in the earpiece. They said, nope, I'm standing with him right now. I'm like, what's going on? What do they want me to do? You know, they want me to go on the other side or something. He goes, okay, I'll tell him. They canceled. They're not going to pick you up. Uh, you got to step back. And I was like, wait, that don't sound right. <laughs> Literally that fast, they sent me home. They were like, you got to just go home. TV show got picked up six months later for six episodes. The third episode's aired. They canceled the show again. I got the show canceled twice in a six-month period, which has never been done before. I booked about three more pilots. Got canceled. There was a show called John Stamos's show. He was a publicist. And they wanted me as a series regular. The show was going great. Ratings were good. Put me on the show. Show got canceled. <laughs> uh, 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 it was everything I touched on TV. Turned to sh I'm now just sitting out here doing nothing. I ain't had no money. Uh, borrowing money left and right. I decided to say f*** it. I said, I'm just going to do stand-up comedy and focus on my craft. And I slaved the road for about five years doing the same circuit over and over again. And let me tell you, you should feel so proud of making it to this day. And I hope that you're excited to get started on that next chapter. But I also imagine that you might think about all that history, all those heroes who came before you, and you might also feel a little pressure, you know? Pressure to live up to the legacy of those who came before you pressure to meet the expectations of others. And believe me, I understand that kind of pressure. <laughs> I've experienced a little bit of it myself. You see, graduates, I didn't start out as the fully firm, formed first lady who stands before you today. No, no, I had my share of bumps along the way. Back when my husband first started campaigning for president, folks had all sorts of questions of me. What kind of first lady would I be? What kinds of issues would I take on? Would I be more like Laura Bush or Hillary Clinton or Nancy Reagan? And the truth is those same questions would have been posed to any candidate's spouse. That's just the way the process works. But as potentially the first African-American first lady, I was also the focus of another set of questions and speculations, conversations sometimes rooted in the fears and misperceptions of others. Was I too loud or too angry or too emasculating? Or was I too soft, too much of a mom, not enough of a career woman? Then there was the first time I was on a magazine cover. It was a cartoon drawing of me with a huge afro and a machine gun. Now, yeah, it was satire, but if I'm really being honest, that knocked me back a bit. It made me wonder, well, just how are people seeing me? Or you might remember the onstage celebratory fist bump between me and my husband after a primary win that was referred to as a terrorist fist jab. 
And over the years, folks have used plenty of interesting words to describe me. One said I exhibited a little bit of uppityism. Another noted that I was one of my husband's cronies of color. Cable news charmingly referred to me as Obama's baby mama. And of course, Barack has endured his fair share of insults and slights. Even today, there are still folks questioning his citizenship. And all of this used to really get to me. Back in those days, I had a lot of sleepless nights worrying about what people thought of me, wondering if I might be hurting my husband's chances of winning his election, fearing how my girls would feel if they found out what some people were saying about their mom. But eventually, I realized that if I wanted to keep my sanity and not let others define me, there was only one thing I could do and that was to have faith in God's plan for me. I had to ignore all of the noise and be true to myself, and the rest would work itself out. When I was 29, I told myself, the next acting job I get, no matter what it pays, I will, from now on, for better or worse, be a working actor. So I quit my position at the professional examination services. <laughs> my friends really weren't happy about that because it was so easy to find me when I worked there. Work was, though, was the only place I had the internet. This was at the beginning of the internet. And now I didn't have either the internet or a cell phone or a job. But something good happened. I got a low paying theater job in a play called Imperfect Love which led to a film called 13 Moons with the same writer, which led to other roles, which led to other roles. And I've worked as an actor ever since. But I didn't know that would happen. At 29, walking away from data processing, I was terrified. 10 years in a place without heat, six years at a job I felt stuck in, maybe I was afraid of change. Are you? My parents didn't have much money, but they struggled to send me to the best schools. And one of the most important things they did for me, and graduates, maybe you don't wanna hear this, is that once I graduated, I was on my own. Financially, it was my turn. Yeah. Parents are applauding, graduates are not. But this made me very hungry, literally. I couldn't be lazy. Now I'm totally lazy, but back then, I couldn't be. And so at 29, and a very long last, I was in the company of the actors and writers and directors I'd sought out that first year, that first day after school. I was, I am, by their sides. Raise the rest of your life to meet you. Don't search for defining moments because they will never come. The world might say you are not allowed to yet. I waited a long time out in the world before I gave myself permission to fail. Please, don't even bother asking. Don't bother telling the world you are ready. Show it, do it. What did Beckett say? Ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, 
fail better. Because you made it this far in a video, I want to celebrate you. Most people start and don't finish. Most people never actually follow through. Most people say they want something, but they don't ever do the work to actually get it. But you are different. You are special. Believe Nation, you made it here all the way to the end, and I love you. So it's a special celebration if you put a hashtag believe down in the comments below on this video, I will showcase you and celebrate you somewhere on the screen in a future video because you are awesome. If you want to learn to push through the hard times with Jordan Peterson, check the video right there next to me. I think you'll love it. Continue to believe and I'll see you there. Stop doing the things that you know are wrong that you could stop doing. If you're failing repeatedly, it's possible that there's something wrong with the way that you're conceptualizing the world.